Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. I have a question for you all. It's a question that Jesus asked those on the sermon, they were listening to those on the mount, they were listening to his sermon that day. Where is your treasure? It's a hard question because here in this room, all of us would like to say, our treasure, our treasure's in heaven, yes? We'd like to say that, wouldn't we? But if we did an honest evaluation of our life, if we wrote up a calendar of the amount of time we spend doing things, you'd start to see where your treasure really lies. If you're uncertain of what you value or what you treasure, look at the behaviours that you engage in. How much time do you dedicate to prayer and to Bible reading versus how much time you dedicate towards sitting watching Netflix for hours at a time or doing things for yourself? So I say it reveals where our treasure is. Another way of saying it is that treasure transforms. And for 2024, when praying over, I like to pray over a word for the church for each year. This was the word that kept coming back time and time again. Treasure, treasure, treasure. I think God was speaking it more to me than to you. I felt like God was saying, Mitch, where is your treasure? I hate to say this. I'm ashamed of it. Sometimes my treasure is not in heaven. It is fixed here on earth. So I need to hear this as much as you guys. On that sermon that Matthew, on, in Matthew chapter 6, from verse 19, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also simple words but powerful and life transforming and i remember as a young man i'd walked away from the lord and as i was sort of coming back i remember reading these words one day coming home from work on the train i had the little burgundy bible i'd bought from kurong for five dollars and i read those words and i started crying because i realized that my treasure was here on earth not in heaven. And I look at how quickly this year has gone. How quickly does time snap away? All those things that we long for, grasp onto, they disappear so quickly. Moths and vermin destroy. Thieves are able to steal our treasure. But that treasure in heaven, no one can steal that. Because they're sealed up in God's bank. Now, it's easy for me to stand up here and say, put our treasure in heaven, because I realize that we have lives. I have three kids. One of them has special needs, and it, you can start to put all your energy and focus into just the here and now. But in the pastor's desk, I quoted from one of my favorite authors, Langdon Gilkey, when he was there in the internment camp with the Japanese putting me in, and his initial response was just trying to survive life in the camp was, well, religion and philosophy, all that stuff, that's helpful, that's good, but 
That doesn't address the needs that we have right now, which is to find food, shelter, and address our overcrowding. Then Gilkey said when he realized that as people started stealing food, as injustice started to rise, his rational humanistic thinking that he thought would save man, he changed and realized that people need something deeper. And he said here, and I put it in the pastor's desk if you want to read it, I began to see that without moral health, a community is as helpless and lost as it is without material supplies and services. The reason why I feel like God's laid treasure as our word for the theme verse of Matthew 6, 19 to 21 is for this ambitious goal that we're presenting before you as a pastoral team. 24 baptisms in 2024. Woof. It's big and it's bold. I want to share the story of how we came to this. Um, about July last year, we went away as a pastoral team for a day retreat and we were looking through a number of uh, church consultancy resources on church health, evangelism, missions. And as we were identifying these things, we got to the end of our kind of time together. And we looked at a model, it's a secular business model called the 4DX, the four disciplines of execution. And the authors there argue that you should only ever have one big goal. You have too many goals, you won't achieve them. But if you have one or maximum two, you're likely to achieve them. I'll never forget, this is Brian. Brian, I'll never forget this. He just says, well, all this stuff we've been talking about, and if we need one goal, 24 baptisms in 2024. You know those moments where you get that light bulb, a God moment? I was like, wow, that's it. This four hours of chatting and praying and talking about, about how we're going to grow this church, capsulated down to this one sentence, 24 baptisms in 2024. The, the great... Um, missionary to India, William Carey, who I'm going to steal from his sermon next week. He had this, ter- this sermon titled, Expect Great Things, Attempt Great Things. I love that. And if you know anything about William Carey, the guy had really no training, had just went out there and realized that there was a need in this world for people to hear about the gospel. So he went to India and did the most remarkable things you'd ever imagine. A man that, from a worldly point of view, had no skills to his name, yet accomplished so much. And began for him with these two sentences. Expect great things. Expect God to do something. Expect him to move powerfully, but at the same time to attempt them. And part of our 24 in 24 goals, we, we have our one goal, but we feel like, hey, this is going to have ramifications for us as a church. Good ramifications. Because to achieve it, guess what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to pray. I don't know where God's going to bring 24 baptisms in. Most of us here are baptized. We praise God. We've already got two people that have put their hand up for baptism. But we're stepping out in faith going, we are praying that we have non-Christians come to this church in 2024 to want to get baptized. So I said, people praying for God's kingdom to be growing. I want to see us living boldly for our faith to be not ashamed of the gospel, but to be living out boldly, not, not, like, not to be obscene or smacking people in the head with the Bible, but not being ashamed. But saying, I'm a Christian. 
I follow Jesus, looking for those opportunities to share with family and friends. As I said earlier, we, part of this, we want to see people come to faith. We want to see we're in a post-Christian society. But it doesn't mean people are any less spiritual. People are desperately hungry for spiritual things. I'm reminded of Rachel. She was telling me about a photographer's retreat, which is all about this spiritual healing. There was meditation, there was yoga, there was Reiki healing. The thing was sold out in a, what, a week or two? It was sold out pretty quickly, wasn't it? But made me realize there that people are desperate for spiritual things. They just don't think they can find it in the church. So let's be praying that our country, that our society that desperately needs a God-shaped hole, will find that. Fourthly, too, if we're thinking about, well, we want to see more non-Christians coming into this church and seeing them ultimately get discipled and baptized, that means we need to be intentional about the different events and about the different services that we run. So we start to think a bit more, okay, if I was inviting a non-Christian to this event, what would that look like? What will our sermons look like? What will our different events look like? And fifthly, celebrating the God moments. You want to see change? There's nothing more exciting than hearing from different members of our congregation saying, hey, guess what? This week I was praying for a neighbor and their prayer was answered. Or saying, I invited this person to church and they came along. And so that's what we're excited about this year to see. This 24 in 24. And there are opportunities. We actually have four opportunities to outwork this. We've set aside in faith. Well, March 25th, we've already got two people put their hands up. I'm going to embarrass them, Natalie and Lizzie. So they've put their hand up to step out and say, hey, I want to get baptized. I want to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. But the rest of that, we're stepping out in faith. We're praying for six people. Six times four is 24 to fill that because we are going to Expect great things from God, and we're going to attempt them. Now, you might be sitting there wondering, well, what can I do? I have a full-time job. I'm working at home. I've got sick relatives to look after. Well, at the center, we have a purpose, and our purpose is simply making Jesus the center through play, prayer, and presence. Now, you can play your part. You can serve in the ministry team, you can register with a sports team or exercise class. You can play your part somehow. That's the part of playing. But if you feel like you can't play, then you can pray. Any, all of us can do that. You can pray for our ministries, for our programs, for the community that comes through these doors, for our staff and for our patrons. And finally, you can be present. And being present, that really isn't that difficult. Just go down to the cafe, hang out there, chat to our staff, chat to the people who are there. You know, come to a Warriors game and get to know people. Each of us can play a role in doing this because we cannot do it alone. You see, we've changed our values to our seven centres 
uh, have to give a round of applause to Murray for that. This was his brilliant idea. So we work as a team. It's not just Mitch up the front coming up with ideas. We work together as a community. This was Murray's idea. Let's change our values from our seven values to our seven centres. So we want to be Bible-centred, friends. We want to be prayer-centred. We want to be discipleship-centred, relationally-centred, community-centred, mission-centred, and compassion-centred. I'm going to now invite Brian up, who's going to share with us some, I guess, some strategies and some tips on evangelism now. So thank you, Brian. Well, thanks, Mitch. Well, 24 and 24, that is uh, a very ambitious target, isn't it? And I know there'll be some here already saying that's absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. And I believe it is impossible unless there's a real movement of the Holy Spirit amongst us. And I know many of us have been praying for that to happen, that God would move amongst us in a way that sees lives transformed, not just lives within those who are already here, but lives that are, that are outside in our community, people who yet need to come to understand who Jesus is. And that's why prayer is going to be such an important part of our journey. But it's not just prayer. It's something that's going to involve all of us in being bold, as Mitch said, and stepping out. Boldly proclaiming who Jesus is. So some are going to say, well, what are you saying, Brian? We've all got to become evangelists. Well, let me just say, evangelism has some connotations, doesn't it? I'm sure we've all walked past someone um, on the side of the road who's jumped in front of us and basically said, are you saved? If you're not, you're going to hell. You know, um, that's not so much evangelism. It might be a form of it. But we've got that and it can be a very negative connotation. On the other hand, we can look at someone like a, a Billy Graham and we can say, well, that's not my gift. I could never, ever be like that. And so for reasons of negative connotations or positive connotations, we can rule ourselves out of being an evangelist. And yet God calls us to boldly proclaim who he is. If we're someone who has a relationship with Jesus, if our treasure we hold that treasure, which is a relationship with Jesus. We have a mission. So today I want to very quickly encourage us to, uh, to share our faith in uh, using our own unique style. I'm taking this from a book that was written by a, a fellow called um, Mark Middleberg, and it's out of a book called Contagious Christianity, and goes back and looks at the different ways in the scriptures that people used their gifts flowing out of who they were to communicate the good news of the gospel. And the first one is the direct approach. And the direct approach is sometimes called the confrontational approach. It's probably the approach that most of us are most familiar with when we hear the word evangelism. And here it is, Peter on the day of Pentecost, he basically gets up there and he's looking at, at people who were there. They had crucified Jesus about six weeks earlier. And he basically says to them, you're in deep trouble. You have crucified the Messiah and you need to repent and to be baptised. You need to ask for God's mercy and God's forgiveness. 
I don't know if anyone here has got that direct approach. I'm not going to ask you to put your, your hands up. There's a caution with this. If you're talking to your friends, maybe use a little bit of tact um, as you do that. We used to have a fellow that um, was a member of our church and came into the centre every Monday night, a lovely bloke, passionate about Jesus. And uh, he was very bold. He had a very direct approach. And I noticed because I was managing the centre at the time on the nights that he would, on the Monday night when he'd come in, there'd be some people that would walk away and give him a bit of a wide berth you know they saw him coming but he he learned to moderate his style and to have some great discussions with people one night he came in with a thing around his neck that basically says go on make my day ask me how you can become a friend of Jesus you know right out there in your face um, there is a place for people with a direct approach to evangelism. The second one is intellectual approach. And this is the approach of Paul at Mars Hill. So here's Paul. He's debating with the philosophers and the deep thinkers that were there. He gained, already gained an understanding of what their faith was and who they were trying to follow. And they saw that there was this all to the, to the unknown God. And he was trying to point out the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth and the life. There is a bit of a caution with this approach, and that is that we need to um, be careful we don't substitute giving information or answers for actually sharing the gospel because the gospel is very, very simple. In our community, Mitch obviously has this style. Um, he loves to nerd out, as he puts it, um, on, uh, on the different things about Scripture. And after Liz, you shared last week, I've got to say, you've got to be one of these as well. I think Liz um, you know, shared she'd read 500 books. That's more than I've read in my entire life. Um, she'd read that in the last couple of years. Uh, the testimonial approach. This is the blind man in John 9, and he simply says, look, I don't know anything except I was once blind, and now I see he had simply shared the story of what Jesus had done to him. Simply shared that story. There's a caution with this approach and that we can sometimes talk more about our experiences than more about who Jesus is and why people should take hold of Jesus. People in our community who have this, obviously Jay, um, Rachel, uh, Rachel Herkes, who shared their testimony in some of those deeper, harder times of life. Jesus was there right in the midst. The relational approach or the interpersonal approach is the approach of Matthew. And we see that Matthew was called. He was a tax collector. So he finds himself uh, at Jesus' house um, having a big party. Um, well, sorry, he held a party at his house. Jesus came along with all Jesus' disciples. Matthew had all his tax collector mates. And here they were mixing one with the other. Um, it's a very interpersonal approach of bringing Christians and non-Christians, uh, not yet Christians, together. One of, the, one of the key cautions with this is sometimes we can develop our relationships clo so closely we don't want to tread on toes. And so we value friendships a lot more than truth-telling and speaking to the lives of someone. Uh, people in our community, Lyndon, Lyndon with his um, testimony um, and uh, message a couple of weeks ago has that. Rob Herkus is a natural, another natural one in our community with an interpersonal or relational approach. The serving approach, this lady Dorcas, what a reputation to have. Um, specifically, she made robes of clothing for widows and other needy people in her, her family. And people got a glimpse of Jesus because of the way 
Dorcas ministered to them and provided for their needs. And, uh, and the caution for this one is that actions are no substitute for words. Somewhere along the line, we need to open our mouths and talk about who Jesus is. People in our community, hands and feet team, do it every Monday. They do a great job ministering to the needy. Chris Thomas, Joy Edwards, my wonderful wife, uh, standout serving style evangelists that walk and work alongside people. And then the invitational approach. Um, here's the woman at the well and uh, she's met Jesus and she simply says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And this style is characterised by inviting, as Mitch has talked about, we're going to have some big events, inviting people along to the, to the centre, whether that's in uh, our services, in our playtime, in our men's shed, uh, in our inflatable night that we're going to have in two weeks' time, uh, exercise group, sports team, whatever that might be. It's a natural way to invite others and to engage them on this journey. So there's a caution for this approach that sometimes we can let Others do the God talk rather than doing that ourselves. And the people in our community have got that. Emma Sheedy's the queen of this approach, um, usually inviting a whole entourage of people uh, to come and join her in what's happening. So they're the different styles. Have you been able to relate with any of those? What is your style? And how can God use you? Obviously... Many of us will be a combination of those. There's no doubt Murray's both relational and intellectual. Um, I would tend to be relational and serving. That's why I gravitate to mission work, where you can be building that relationship and serving people at the same time. What is yours? It would be good for you to discuss that with those close to you, to find out and to be bold and to venture forth. Because, friends, this treasure that you have needs to be shared. We can't keep it to ourselves and we can do that by using our own style. That goal is not going to be impossible. And the thing we need to recognise is our world is searching for answers. Even this last week, um, the last couple of weeks, I've heard of you know someone being on the internet, and all of a sudden they they've they've got the opportunity to join a group that is obviously some kind of Eastern mysticism group. They're all around um, invitations, and if we don't talk to our friends, others will be doing that, and we know what the truth is. guys we um have had a pretty exciting morning so far and this vision of 24 and 24 i think is something which is not going to end just at those invitations and that's something that i kind of want to continue to talk about this morning so obviously brian spoke about the importance of evangelism and this is really centered around one of our seven centers the center of mission who would have thought the missions pastor talking about the importance of local mission now i want to talk about the importance of relationship and community which is a another two of our seven centers. And I think the way that this is really powerfully manifested for me as a pastor who oversees the running of Sunday services is through hospitality. Hospitality is really, really important because it is God's house here 
but it's also our home. <laughs> I think that's really, really important as people come in, that they are welcomed into a space and understand that, yes, it is God's house, but maybe it could also be their home. And I really want to talk about this morning the responsibility that that means for each of us as we are members, stewards, even priests, dare I say it, in God's house and inviting people in. And I think that often when we think about spiritual gifts, the gift of hospitality, while valued, <laughs> can sometimes be seen as maybe a less spiritual gift, dare I say it. I think we can be a little bit guilty of that, of thinking that there's, you know, praying in tongues and praying for healing and prophecy, and then there's serving tea and cake and welcoming people. And I'm here this morning to maybe challenge you that cake and tea and welcoming is perhaps the most spiritual thing that we could do when we come to church. I want to click quickly to the letter of Hebrews. The writer is wrapping up. It's the final chapter of their letter um, to this church. And they say, let love of the brothers and sisters continue and do not neglect hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it, which is a weird thing to say out of context. What is the writer talking about here? Entertaining angels. Well, I think that maybe they're referring to a story all the way back in Genesis 18, where Abraham and Sarah, Israel aren't even a nation yet. Israel are two elderly, childless people living in a tent. And these three strangers appear to them. And depending on what your interpretation is, it's either the Trinity or it's Jesus accompanied by two angels. But I think what's really important either way is that God is there, <laughs> that God has arrived at their home. And in this moment, Abraham and Sarah extend hospitality to God. And there's a really interesting moment that I couldn't help but notice as I was reading through this passage in Genesis 18, 6. It says, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it and make bread cakes. It's a weird turn of phrase. Bread cakes. How are they different to normal bread? Well, the answer is I don't exactly know how they're different to normal bread. But I do know one thing, that it's the only time that that word, agar, turns up in the whole book of Genesis. Interesting. And as someone who loves cake, loves eating cake, loves making cake, loves watching others get eliminated from reality TV shows when they don't make cake well enough, I really think that maybe there is something more significant here than just a weird turn of phrase. And I'm wondering, what is this significance? Well, this word, uh, as I've said, only pops up once in Genesis. And it also only pops up once in the book of Leviticus. It's this moment in which God is informing the Levites, the priests, about a special offering that they are to make. It says, With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall present his offering with cakes of unleavened bread, with agar. You're like, oh, okay. Well, maybe what Sarah is doing here isn't just putting on tea and coffee for God. Maybe what Sarah is doing here is playing a role of a proto-priest, that she's fulfilling a deeply significant and important part of now our role as a priesthood of believers of offering hospitality to strangers through cake. 
Maybe cake's more spiritual than we've been thinking. And we start to realize that this word aga actually turns up another really interesting time. It's only once, but it turns up once in the book of Numbers. And wouldn't you know it, it's another really significant spiritual meal. It's when the Israelites are out in the desert and they're starving and God provides manna for them. And it reads from Numbers 11, 7 to 8. Now, the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bedellium, which is sort of like a gum resin, if you wanted to know, like an ambery jelly gum resin. It looked like gum resin. The people would roam around and gather it and grind it between two millstones or pound it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make loaves with it. And its taste was like the taste of bread caked oil. This cake baked with oil, it's manna from heaven. Whew. Maybe cake's more spiritual than we thought. Maybe offering cake to strangers who come into this space is more spiritual than we thought. As they take the gift that God has given them from heaven and make it into something as an offering to eat as a community together. I'm here to suggest this morning that cake is important. Amen? Amen. But it's not just important because it tastes delicious. It's important because I think there is actually something incredibly significant and spiritual about coming around together as a community and eating something which has not just come from us, but has come from God. An offering that we are then making and coming together as a community and eating it. I'm here to, to suggest this morning that our service doesn't end at 11am when the last song has ended and the MC comes up and does a benediction. I'm here to suggest that our service doesn't end until people have gone out and shared a tea or coffee and or cake together because hospitality is an intrinsically spiritual thing and we can invite all the people that we want into this space but if we're not welcoming them once they're here if we're not extending that hospitality to strangers if we're not showing them how God's house could actually be their home and they could come into a relationship with him in a powerful way if we are not being the flesh and blood of Jesus in that moment I don't know if they're going to want to stay but what I can say is I know that they're definitely going to want to stay more and continue to hear the good news of God if we welcome them and are hospitable to them. So my challenge to us all this morning, including myself, is when you see somebody that you don't know, maybe they've been attending this church for years and you don't know their name, but when you see somebody who you don't know, go up and welcome them and extend that hospitality to strangers because I think that these ideas of hospitality centered around our two centers in this point of relationship and community are an intrinsic part of how we are going to see 24 people get baptized in this place in 2024. The writer of Hebrews says, and I want you to imagine right now that this is being written to our church. Let love of the brothers and sisters continue. Do not neglect hospitality to strangers, for by this some, such as an old Abraham and Sarah out in the desert in a tent, have entertained angels without knowing it. 
thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.